0: Amen. That song was fantastic. We should behold our God seated on his throne. We should adore him because he reigns over all things. Our king reigns over men and nations. And that's a great comfort to me this morning. Especially when you look around at our nation. And it seems like it's coming undone. It's out of control. But as a believer, this song should remind us our God reigns over all things. And the world is in desperate need of his reign to be made manifest through his people. The people of our nation are scrambling at this time trying to find a way to solve all of our problems that we see being laid out before us. On CNN. Our nation desperately needs a new leader. That would be an understatement, right? But listen, I want to tell you this morning, a new leader, a new president of these United States will never solve our nation's woes. And I think that our nation and I think that some Christians have forgotten that. I think that we have forgotten that the only hope we have in this world and in the world to come is found in a king, not in a president. Our nation has forgotten who is reigning over this country and who will judge this country as a true and righteous king. And again, I I fear that Many Christians have forgotten that reality as well. So today what I want to do is I want to remind you and comfort you with a promise from our king that is found in an often overlooked portion of our communion text this morning in 1 Corinthians 11. After the sermon, Ronnie is going to be leading us to the Lord's table so that we can remember Christ's work in the past That brought us into the kingdom. And what I want to do is also remind you right now. That the Lord's Supper text should should point us to this future promise in this text. We have a promise that should produce joyful anticipation in all of God's children here this morning. There is a promise here. It is meant to give us great joy in the midst of great difficulty. Look with me at First Corinthians 11. I know Ronnie's going to take us through this and, and to this later, but I want to focus on one particular verse. But let's read it, verse 23. For I received from the Lord, that is the Master, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he says this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you declare or you proclaim the Lord's death, until he comes. There's the promise. You see the promise? It's in the text. He's coming. We're celebrating his death, but yet he is not dead. He's coming again to celebrate something new with us personally. This passage should give you great hope this morning. Because it promises that believers will see the Lord, see King Jesus face to face in the future. And this is a promise given to us by God Himself, by the Lord Jesus, God made manifest in the flesh. Christ promises that we will one day put away the memorial. And we will, we will enjoy the reality. One day we will feast with him at a new table in his physical presence. We see that promise realized in Revelation 19. Go there with me. In Revelation 19, verse 6, listen to this glorious passage. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. This is deafening. This is very loud. And here's what it's saying. Hallelujah for the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for or because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. That is the Christ's righteousness that produces a change in us. He's talking about here for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. This is our future being realized here in this text. We will be gathered together with the angels around our wedding table. They're taking second place to us at this point. Our song is is the song that's being sang here. The marriage supper of the Lamb, the marriage of the Lamb has come. And the angels are echoing the praises that come from the saints who are celebrating this great feast, this great wedding that is being realized finally. And listen, as we partake this morning... Of the Lord's Supper. That's what we should be anticipating. That's what we should be thinking about. We are celebrating the death of the Lord Jesus. Until he comes. He's coming. And we will anticipate that. Up until that day. But on that day. We will experience him. Personally and physically. We'll experience him. With with new eyes. Think about that. If you were to behold the glory of God. Now you would be blinded. For the rest of your life physically. Moses couldn't do it. But one day, with newly created bodies, we will be given the opportunity to behold Jesus in his full glory because we have regenerated eyes, recreated eyes. We have eyes that were will be meant to be to used to feast on the glory of Christ, see him in his fullness, see him in his greatness. And that's what this ordinance that we're going to celebrate later should point us to the reality of. It should make us long for the the day that we see him face to face. It should also give us rest when we face difficulties in this life. When we think that the world's coming undone, the nation's falling apart, woe is America. Remember, Christ is coming. He is reigning now. He'll not forsake his people. Not now, not in the future. Shouldn't we be comforted by that this morning? We should be reminded of this when we think that things are out of control. Our God reigns. And if he reigns, that means he is our master. He's the one who directs our lives as Christians. And so when we come back to that passage in Corinthians... We must remember that what Jesus is telling us to do in our communion celebration is a command from the master. It's a command from King Jesus himself. And if you look at verse 26, back there in 1 Corinthians 11, you'll see that we are to celebrate, continue celebrating the Lord's death often until he comes. And he says, do this basically to proclaim the gospel of, Through this illustration, this physical illustration, continue celebrating this. And here's here's why. Here's what this communion table represents and what we celebrate. We celebrate Christ's incarnation. God becoming man, taking on flesh to live our life and then to die our death. We're celebrating his, his incarnation. We're celebrating his substitutionary atonement. We're celebrating his glorious resurrection because he is not in the tomb any longer. He has risen. But we're also to be reminded here in this text that we are celebrating his victorious second coming that is promised. That's what really should keep us focused this morning when we think that things are out of control in our world. Our God reigns and he promises that as we continue as his people and we gather and we celebrate this communion, it is a representation of the gospel. It is testifying to the world that our God is alive and he is directing our lives until he comes and he's going to actually redeem us in completion in glorification on that day. And until then, we are to be faithful as his witnesses. See, partaking of the Lord's Supper is much more than just going through a ritual. We are identifying with our Savior. We are honoring his work. We are looking forward to his promises. And we are standing out from the world around us. We are being obedient to our Lord and Master. And the world around us one day may say, That is illegal. You must stop. But as a Christian... There is no stopping the celebration. It is something we will continue to celebrate until he comes because it magnifies his grace. It glorifies Christ's accomplishments. But I want to talk to you, though, in particular this morning about the day that Christ returns. When he returns, as I said earlier, we will no longer need a memorial service to remind us of his work because when he returns, our faith will become sight, right? We don't need the symbols when we have the substance. One day, what we trust in now will become manifest to us physically. I hope you believe this. And if you believe this, If we really believe that Jesus is going to come and could come at any moment, it's an imminent return. If we believe that he could come at any moment, I hope that it changes you. I hope it helps you examine yourself before you come to the Lord's table. Are you living under his lordship, rejoicing in his lordship, serving him as your master? So that when he comes, you go from serving to praising You'll praise him when he comes, because when he comes, you're going to see something no one has ever truly seen in this fullness. You're going to see incarnate deity. On that day, when Christ comes, that Paul's talking about, Peter talks about, John talks about, Jude talks about. On that day, we will see God's incarnate love and grace not despised, but crowned in glory and praise. When he came the first time, he was despised and rejected by men. When he comes again, he will reign over all men. And those who are in him will rejoice at his very presence, spontaneously, uncontrollably, just, just as you sang earlier, and there's a couple places in the songs, I noticed people got excited, they responded to the songs. That 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 instant of, of spontaneous worship, just imagine that magnified a million times over. That's what's going to be like when Christ returns and we see him. Here's why. When we see him on that day. We're going to see the one. We're going to see the one who bears the marks of our sin. We're going to see our scars on his hands and his feet and his side and his brow. And we're going to we're going to know that we have we have no blemishes left in our lives and our bodies because of his substitutionary atoning work of grace. And we will we will forever be amazed. By what we see. You know how I know that? Well, the book of Revelation helps us see that. In the book of Revelation, you're going to notice some things in the book of Revelation. The revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what the book's about. It's not about end times, it's about the revelation of who Jesus is. Okay? Just make sure you understand that when you read the book. But when you come to that book, you're going to see one constant theme throughout the book in heaven, in the future. There is one song that is sang over and over and over again. Glory to the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and praise. He was slain because of our sins. Listen, when we get to heaven, we'll never get over the gospel. When the heavenly state comes to the earth, we'll never get over the gospel. We'll continue to declare not just his death, but his reign. His sacrifice and his love forever and ever and ever. What we celebrate at the Lord's table just gives us a precursor of that. It's just a taste of the glory to come. The Lord's Supper is meant to make us long for that great day. I hope that's why you came this morning. Listen, I think, and I'm not a Roman Catholic, but I'm going to use a Roman Catholic term. I think it's a cardinal sin to neglect the Lord's table. What I mean by that is, I think it's a great, great, grievous sin to neglect the Lord's table because you don't think that you have met the standard. Let me just tell you up front, you haven't. No one here has met the standard. That's when we keep coming back to this and we say, Thank you, Jesus, for meeting the requirements in my place. I need to be reminded, I need to be refreshed, I need to be nourished. Again, it's a confession of our neediness, it's a confession of his greatness. That's why this is such an important celebration on the last Sunday of every month in our church. When we look upon the bread and the cup, it is supposed to remind us of the promises to come because Jesus reigns, because he's alive forevermore. I often think about what that will be like on that day when we see him. When we see this glorious promise that we now trust in by faith, when we see that glorious promise made manifest, what exactly will, will we see? Do you know what the Bible tells us? It tells us in the book of Acts. Acts chapter one. Here's what we'll see. Acts chapter one, verse six. As Luke, Dr. Luke, writes to Theophilus in this account. In verse 6, this is the story of the resurrected Jesus is is coming from the grave. He's going to his people to talk to them, to commission them. Verse 6 says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say you should be my witnesses. He actually says you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was, notice this, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. This is the same phraseology that's used in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were being led through the wilderness. There was a cloud, a glory cloud, that preceded them, that guided them. When when God would make himself manifest in in the tabernacle or in the temple, there was this glory cloud that filled the temple. This is speaking of the Shekinah glory of God. The outworking of God's glorious presence on earth. That's the kind of cloud that took him up out of their sight. This was undeniable. You couldn't ignore it. It was visible. It was powerful. It was glorious. Verse 10 says And while they were gazing, they're mesmerized. They're gazing into heaven. As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Those were angels. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, notice, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What does that tell us? When Christ comes again, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be undeniable. It's going to be visible The Shekinah glory of God is going to split the sky as the lightning from the east to the west. It will be seen. And what will be seen is the glory of Jesus. Christ's beauty and his power will be displayed for all of this world to see. Isn't that exciting to think about? Have you ever been ridiculed for your faith? Have you ever felt like a weak Christian because you just, you just don't seem like you're meeting the standard and you're just not sure if God really loves you, yet you were told here in this that one day when we see him, we're going to see his full glory, not because you're the best Christian or the worst Christian, because you're the graced Christian, because you're his child. We're all going to see this together equally. The world will see this also, which I think is Phenomenal the scoffers, the mockers, the haters of God, they'll not be able to deny this day, who it is that's coming. On that day, when Christ comes, his glory will not be veiled in humility. What will happen on that day is his victory will be revealed powerfully for all the world to see. Listen, saints, when Jesus comes again, this entire planet and all the people in it will tremble at the sight of our Savior, our Redeemer, our Sovereign King. Isn't that, isn't that comforting? Right now, there are things that happen in our country that make us tremble, that make us fearful. But this Savior is on our side. And when when he comes, no matter what this world does against him or against his people, when he comes, we're going to be the ones standing there with confidence, with joy and praise in our hearts as they tremble at his feet. He will be vindicated on that day, and I look forward to that day. I don't look forward to the death of the wicked. It's, it's, It's disgusting to think about. It's sad to think about. But I I look forward to the vindication of my Lord Jesus Christ, who they have mocked and shamed and rejected his grace. Second Peter talks about that day a little bit. Second Peter 3.10. I think this is important to consider this morning as we think about what's going to happen and how we should respond to the reality of what we celebrate at the Lord's table until he comes. Second Peter 3, 10, it says this, speaking of that day. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned and dissolved And the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. Then then Peter says this, "Since, since all of these things are thus to be dissolved when he comes. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? What sort of people ought we to be until that day comes? Knowing that this world will perish and all those on it who are outside of Christ will perish with it eternally under God's wrath. What kind of people should we be when we come to the Lord's table? When we come to living our Christian life? In light of his lordship, in light of his love, in light of his soon coming judgment on the world, how should we live as his people who are redeemed by his blood to be the witnesses to all the world? We should be changed. I'm not telling you this to condemn you. I'm telling this to help you transform and conform your life to Christ. That's what the truth of the gospel should do to us. It should make us examine ourselves and see where we are deficient and then look to Christ for our sufficiency. Look to Christ for our sanctification. Trust the Holy Spirit to change us by submitting to his direction. Because he is our master. He is our king. He is coming. To reward us, not to judge us. The world will be judged. We will be rewarded. What kind of people should we be in the meantime? What kind of work should we be doing? What kind of lives should we be living? The kind of lives that would magnify his goodness and his grace and his truth. When Jesus comes, he is going to display all of those things to the whole world, for the whole world to see. He Listen, when Jesus comes, I, I, the Bible is not anthropocentric. It is not man-centered. It is God-centered. Okay? It's Christ-centered. Okay, However, there are some things in the New Testament that we read that tell us that Jesus is going to show up on the planet again to show the world how much he loves us. To let the world know that his work was glorious in the saints. That should excite us. He's going to show up to show that he was the great and glorious savior of sinners like us. He's going to show up to say, I am not just their master, I am their savior. And he's going to show up in glory again, as the scriptures say. He's going to show up and declare that he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's not going to be dressed as a servant when he comes again. He's going to be dressed as the sovereign. He's going to be wearing his royal garments of authority. And those garments, those garments that he wears... Those garments reflect his glory to all the world. And for those who are in him, we also know that we are dressed in Christ. We're covered by his righteous royal garments. We are accepted forever because of his great love for us, not because of our obedience. We will not tremble on this day when he comes because we're dressed in his grace. He's going to show up, though. And reveal not just grace. He's going to show up and reveal his authority on that day. Now we need to keep this in mind. Why are we here as Christians today? To be his witnesses. One of the most important aspects of our witness is speaking the truth in love about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not the fair-haired, blue-eyed, pictured boy in those Facebook posts. He is the sovereign king of the universe. He is coming to dispense grace upon his people and sovereign judgment on the lost. And we dare not fail to give the full picture of who Jesus Christ is. If we say we love sinners, we must speak the truth to them. God will not overlook their sin. He will judge it righteously through his son. Look at Revelation 19:11. Here we see Christ dressed in divine glory and revealing his divine authority as judge in 19:11. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. The Lord is a warrior here. Do we talk about Jesus in this way? Oh, we might, we might frighten people off if we talk about Jesus like this. Really? You think they're going to come if you just tell them that he is this warm and, and gushy, you know, I'll look over your sins little friend of sinners? No, he is the one who says, your sins demand absolute judgment, and I'm going to take your place. I'll stand for you so you can receive favor from my Father. Don't forget, your sins must be judged. That's why I must die on a cross. We have to give the full picture of who Christ is. It says he is going to make war on this earth. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Now, my opinion of that text is this. That blood is not necessarily representing the blood that covers our sins. The context is war. I believe that this is the blood of his enemies that he has just trampled through. And the name by which he was called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Let me explain to you what that is. That is the righteous judgments of Christ from God's word. That's what he's talking about. With which he will strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the preeminent king. He is our master. And he's also our savior. But we must remember for the world, he is also judge. And listen, there's a lot for him to judge on this planet. There's a lot of people on this planet who are in constant rebellion against him. just watch the recent news for five minutes and you'll see that. But when he comes, the rejection and the mocking will be over. On that day when Jesus returns, he will not be mocked by sinful men any longer. He will be revered, as this text says, as king of kings, lord, master, savior, creator. And he'll also be honored and praised by his people as our savior. On that day... If you are a follower of Christ, you will joyfully see King Jesus and you will celebrate. You won't melt as Isaiah melted in Isaiah 6 in God's glorious presence, which happened to be God the Son that he was speaking of there in Isaiah 6. You'll be able to celebrate Face to face before King Jesus, because it is King Jesus himself that is coming to rescue you personally, to reveal his glory that he has given to his saints personally here on the earth. Look with me at second Thessalonians to see that second Thessalonians one verse five. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When? When's he going to do this? Listen, saints, we won't tremble on that day because on that day he's coming to complete our salvation. He's coming to rescue us, bring us into glorification. And he's going to do it in such a way that all the world will see these are mine. I have saved them. I have promised them complete reconciliation and restoration. And I'm coming to gather them to myself. And he says here he's going to be magnified in his saints. The glory of Jesus is reflected through his work. And we are the fruit of his work. It will be reflected through us. But listen, as we read these texts, we should have one, one part of our, our mind and our, our eye on, on weeping tears of joy. And the other part of our mind and our eyes Weeping tears of sorrow for the unbelievers. Because this will not be a glorious day to the unbeliever. The unbeliever on that day when Jesus' glory is made manifest through his church, that unbeliever will weep because they'll be found outside of the ark of safety. But we can rejoice because His righteous blood has brought us peace with God. It has removed all of God's wrath. It protects us from the wrath to come. We'll be able to stand before our God knowing on that day that we are covered in the blood-soaked righteous robes of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we stand there with confidence and with joy. It is in His righteousness that we stand. And on that day, as we see here in Thessalonians... His amazing grace and mercy will be revealed for all the world to see. But also, what's going to happen on that day is His amazing power and authority is going to be revealed. He, people will see Him not just as our Savior. They will finally see them as their righteous judge. Look what Jude says. Jude 1.14. Jude tells us that on that day, the unbelieving world will tremble, and rightfully so. Because our coming king is coming to judge those who reject his rulership now in their lives. Jude 1.14. It was also about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh Things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. The world is typified in that passage. Many in the professing visible church are typified in that passage. Listen. If you if you name the name of Christ and you you deny His lordship over your life, you may be in that passage. Examine yourselves. Think about this. Is His return something you anticipate or is it something that you fear? This morning, Jude sounds a lot like Revelation 19, the latter half. Go there again with me. Let me read to you verses 17 to 21. It says. Then I saw an angel, this is after the declaration of Jesus being king of kings and lord of lords, Revelation 19:17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both Free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. That would be Jesus and his saints. Verse 20 says And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence has done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its images. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. This may be odd for me to say that Revelation 19 should remind you of why you need to rejoice if you are a Christian when you come to the Lord's Supper. There's a wedding feast coming for us. And there's another feast that follows for the unbelievers. One is unto God's praise and glory for his grace. One is unto God's praise and glory for his justice. But if you're here this morning in Christ, you're coming to celebrate the grace that's promised. Communion reminds us that we were judged already in Christ at the cross. And it also reminds us that we'll never be judged by his wrath in the future. Jesus is a wrathful master. If you reject his grace, you will face his wrath. He has the wrath of the Almighty, the Sovereign One. Unbelievers need to understand this. It is our job as Christians to declare this. We need to understand some practical aspects of this too. Sometimes we think that politics will solve our problems in this country. Do a little history research and you'll find out that's not the case. But I'll tell you this. The Lord Jesus' return will solve the problems of our nation. But we need to be about his business until he comes. We need to not get caught up in the political movements and the fears of this world, thinking that, hmm, we've got to make all these things right. We've got to fix all these problems. Listen, if scripture is true, and it is, all the evil that has ever been done by mankind will be judged by our king. Nothing escapes his omnipotent gaze. The King of Kings will eventually, one day, hold all men, all nations, all leaders accountable for their evil deeds. We as Christians are to be faithful in this world. We're not the instruments of vengeance, we are the instruments of grace if we forget our position, we can get caught up in all the movements and all the confusion. And we miss so many great opportunities to actually share the good news of Jesus. I want to comfort you this morning by reminding you that the things that are out of place, the things that are coming undone in this nation, will one day be made right. Wicked men... Wicked political parties, one in particular comes to my mind, and wicked leaders will be dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ. We are simply to be his representatives on earth, to declare his truth and his grace. Those who glorify infanticide, homosexuality, and passivity towards sin, one day they will be judged in righteousness by our king. And at the same time, those who are citizens of his kingdom will be able to rest and rejoice because he will make it all right. And it's that knowledge that makes us able to rest now as we stand firm in the truth as Christians in this nation. You know what? We might not be vindicated. We might even die for Jesus' sake, but it will not be wasted. Our firm stand in the truth if we're pointing people to Christ and not to the Republican party that will not be wasted. If we are persecuted because of our position in Christ, not our political position, it will not be wasted. The Lord Jesus will bless and he will seek out justice. We got to remember this. We have to remember that on the day that Jesus returns, What we know as Christians will be made manifest to the world. He reigns. And all mankind will know it on that day. Every knee will bow to Christ as Savior. Or they will bow before his sword. But all mankind will bow. Now, for us, that's a glorious truth. For the lost, not so much. What's our duty as we come to the Lord's table? To prepare ourselves to go tell them about the grace that is to come in Christ. So let me just ask you this. If you really examine yourself this morning, if you really thought about your your, your condition before God and the truth of Christ's return, how do you really and truly feel about the day that Paul is talking about In 1 Corinthians 11, 26. How do you truly feel about that day? Let me ask you some questions. Do you long for it? Do you eagerly anticipate it? Or are you fearful of it? Does it intimidate you? Does it frighten you? Are you frightened? Are you unsure about your standing in Christ today? Have you examined your life in light of the truth that we see about Christ's coming in judgment Are you submitted to Jesus as Lord in every area of your life today? Or do you still have unrepentant sin in your heart? Do you still have bitterness, unresolved bitterness toward others in your heart? Ask yourself this. Are you committed to following Christ or are you running from repentance? This is serious. The lordship of Jesus is not something to toy with, church. Even for those who are saved. If we are saved. He is no longer our judge. We were judged with him at the cross. But he is our gracious master. The friend of sinners. How do we respond to the anticipation of his coming? Are we running toward it with joy? or Are we trembling at it? Because we have rejected his leadership we have rejected and scorned his word we've broken fellowship with the saints what's going on in our hearts we need to think about this we need to remember as we think about this that there's still good news for us we often say at the lord's supper today is a day of salvation examine yourself to see if you're in the faith let me just say this that still kind of applies to christians you realize that Because the word salvation implies something that happened in the past, something that's happened presently, and something that's happening continually until we are glorified. Okay? Today is the day of salvation and sanctification. Examine yourself. What does contemplating the return of the Lord Jesus Christ do to your heart? Does it make you want to repent of your sins so that you can rejoice in his presence, so that you can relish really what these symbols represent this morning. Listen, nobody should have to come to the Lord's Supper with their heads hanging down. Woe is me, I'm a weak, worthless Christian. Nobody needs to come that way. None of us deserve to be here. We're all brought here by His grace. We come with our eyes lifted up and our hearts bowed low, thanking Him, looking to Him, trusting in Him turning from our sins, trusting in his grace continually as Christians. Because he's made a way for us to be made clean. He's made a way for us to be acceptable in his sight on that day when he comes so that we can rejoice. The way he has done that is celebrated every day that we come to the Lord's table. The bread reminds us that God took on flesh to do what we couldn't do in our place. Jesus took on flesh to live a righteous life that we can't live to fulfill all of God's requirements for us so that we would have a way to be counted righteous in him. The cup reminds us that he died in our place to secure our praise in eternity. Just think about that. Jesus dies so that you could tell him how great he is. Is he going to lose anybody he dies for? Absolutely not. He died and he rose And he's coming again to declare, look what I did. You are the fruit. He died to make a way for us to come to God, having our sins dealt with at the cross where he appeased God's wrath in our place. It all fell on him. It is finished. Nothing but grace to come. That's what these symbols represent. That's when we celebrate as we think about the day to come. When he comes, we should be found full of joy. And I want you to feel that way this morning. And I pray that this morning you can give thanks for what these symbols represent when Ronnie leads us to the Lord's table. I want you to be able to do that until he comes to celebrate the greater table with us. The table of grace to come in his presence face to face. So... As I conclude, and as Ronnie gets ready to come forward, I think Tim's going to do a song. I want you to to spend some time with me just for a moment. I think preparing for the Lord's Supper that Ronnie's going to lead us into. Heavenly Father, we come to you thankful for your great love. And that great love was manifest in the sending forth of your Son to be our substitute. And that great love is manifest in the great promise that we have that our substitute lives and reigns and is coming again to receive us to himself so we can declare forever how great you are. Lord, I ask you to examine my heart, my thinking, my actions. And Holy Spirit, I do pray that you would point out where any of us fall short of your glory and your grace. So that when you point that out, Holy Spirit, we will remember that we must trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for our acceptance in your sight. So, Lord, yes, examine us, bow our hearts, take us down to see the reality of what's inside of us so that we could come up looking to Christ, who is our Savior, our Lord and our Master. Forevermore. And we long for the day that he comes again. So prepare us for that day, I pray, Jesus. Amen.